Pastor Ed Taylor with a three-pronged approach to help you determine the truth from error. It's vital that what we practice in the church is, and how we express our faith to be clearly seen and taught in the scriptures. And there's three ways, three things to look for. Number one, did Jesus do it? Number two, did it continue on in the life of the church in the book of Acts? And thirdly, was it covered, taught, or corrected in the epistles? This is amazing grace. Maybe you've noticed throughout the years, things have come into the church that may have even raised some eyebrows. And you're left wondering, was that of God? And how can you really know? Today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn to measure everything we see and hear with God's Word. And if it doesn't line up, reject it. Pastor Ed Taylor opens 1 Kings 13 on this Wednesday. It's very serious that we see even back in 1 Kings here that the demonic realm and lies there are lies that people use spiritual reasons. That's why in a church setting, I know that when we come to church and gather together as the saints, I know that we, when we get off of work and we're thinking about worship because week has been so hard and we're thinking about the person that we invited and we hope they show up. Well, we gave out an invitation and a card for the radio and we're just hoping they listen. And, and we're so excited. We're, we're, we're just anticipating getting out of the world for a little bit, almost like taking a spiritual shower, getting washed by the water of the word, that it's easy for you to let your guard down in this room. It's easy to, for you to let your guard down because there's the natural assumption that we're all believers. Although you need to understand that our fellowship family is often filled with a lot of people that aren't believers for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they come in out of the snow. Sometimes they come in for out of the heat. Sometimes they've been invited here. So who, there's a lot of reasons. The, the time that we have a gathering and there aren't any unbelievers around, oh Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. And so you have to never let your guard down because you could be talking to a brother and sister and they may not have the best motives. You have to stay in the spirit. Somebody comes to you and you go, I don't know about that, what I just heard the pastor say. And, and uh, you know, I was talking to an angel last night and uh, the angel said that he was going to tell me he was going to say that. And just, uh, you know, it's like, bing! <laughs> really, you talk to angels. Uh, and uh, so you don't think pastor knows what he's talking about. No, no, angel told me last night, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, let's go talk to pastor. Oh, no, 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 uh-uh. No, no, no. And, you know, it's, you don't want to let your guard down even when you're around believers. I don't think you need to be hyper-skeptical, but you also don't want to be, let your guard down so much where you just kind of believe everything that people tell you. I, I would even encourage you in the sense of, as the Bible study is being taught here, that, that we take up what the Bible teaches us in the book of Acts, that we're Bereans, and you take what's taught from the pulpit here, and you go home and read it. You know, go home and look it up on, on go, go to blueletterbible.org and look up the word wiles and see if I was right. You know, if I give you a number of how many tribes and stuff or how many kings, go ahead and look it up. You know what happened that night? Brother came up uh, with his Bible and he said, Pastor, um, 
um, I just want to know if, uh, you know, the number, he was very kind, and, and I know him for many years, coming to the church, and he says, I just, you know, I, I, think, I think you made a mistake with the numbers, but either your mistake or my study Bible is a mistake. <laughs> And I said, no, bro, I know I made a mistake. Your study Bible is right. I just totally blew it. I always get confused about that. But, you know, it, it's okay to ask the question. Uh, and, you know, most likely I probably made the mistake, not your study Bible. But even our study Bibles can make mistakes. Uh, even the things that we write, uh, can even, even sometimes they'll, when they're printing the Bibles, they'll misprint a word or something. And we just got to keep our guard up. I know it's not as, as strong as what Paul is saying here or what we're learning in 1 Kings, but let, let's walk and, and let's be men and women of the word where we can handle it ourselves. Let's make sure that we're reading it and we, we're not, maybe we're not going to be the greatest theologians. You know, when I talk to some people that have been to seminary and they study more and they, they know, I met, a, I met a man recently, he's going to actually come out and speak for me in December, speak for us uh, right before Christmas. He's a genius assistant professor PhD in the Hebrew language and so he's going to come and share and just speaking with him like he's just so smart but even that brother we need to check and make sure that it's accurate to the word of God and you don't have to be a seasoned seminary PhD guy or gal to understand the word of God just be in the word and let the Holy Spirit give you what you need as you need it and, and know how to use it in someone's life and be able to, to have the courage to say, you know, Pastor, I, I wonder if you missed that word or, you know what, Sister, I see your life right now, but when I read the Bible, you know, this is what the Bible says. And when I compare your life with what the Bible says, it doesn't match up. What do you think you should do? That's a kind way of rebuking somebody. Just saying, man, I, I mean, we've been friends for a long time. You know, we've been through a lot together. And, and as I'm reading the Bible, I was just reading something last night, and, and it just seems that this is for you. And you just go share the scripture with them. And it's a powerful thing as believers are doing what God's called them to do on the earth today, loving people, and then giving the only thing that has absolute authority on the earth today, and that's the word of God. It's unquestionable. As people are undermining it and making fun of it and, and making fun of you because you believe it and saying you're following fairy tales and myths, they did that in the first century too. And guess what? The Bible's still here, changing lives. God is still using the word of God, so much so that Jesus said, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. They're the most powerful thing you can give to people. But if you examine your life, I'm certain that the amount of opinion you give far outweighs the amount of the word of God you give. You just got to flip that around. And the more you're in the word of God, the more your opinion will be the word of God. And you'll be sharing things and you'll be sharing something. And then when at the end, you're like, man, that was really good. What was that? It's actually in the Bible. You were reading it a couple weeks ago and the Holy Spirit put it in your heart. And you now he's drawing it out for you. And you didn't even know you're going to need it two weeks from there. And it's just a beautiful thing. We have to be careful not to believe things because somebody says them and tries to twist our arm with some spiritual lie. This is strong language from Paul in Galatians. He says, no matter what an angel might say or what a prophet might speak or what a pastor might teach, if it doesn't line up with what you know the word says, reject it wholeheartedly and unashamedly. 
And as a pastor, for me, it's troubling as I watch the body of Christ so quickly, and really, primarily, it's the leadership that encourages it, but I watch the church over the last 18 years follow after every fad, every trend, every weird latest flavor of Christianity, trying to find some kind of satisfaction and trying to become relevant to a culture that's ever-changing. And if you watch it happen, if you see it from my perspective, if you watch it from my perspective, the church is always trying to run, run, run and catch up with the world. And why when they think they caught up, the world takes off. And, and it's like, you know, it would be like now, you know, the church is just catching up and we finally got 70s music. We got it perfected. And the church has moved on, man. The 70s are over. It's, we are long gone. But I watch the church, it's like, just almost like, it, it's, it's almost like, and, and maybe this is you, maybe the Lord's going to really deal with your heart, but it's almost like you're begging the world to accept you. The world will never accept the church. This world system hates Jesus Christ and will never accept the church. And any goofy, relevant, entertainment-driven church, the world mocks because now we have no authority and no power. The, the world laughs at a church that compromises, even as the world laughs at a believer that compromises. They're just waiting for the believer to compromise, and, and they get inflamed when you see you stay strong in the midst of trial. When they see you stay strong, when everyone in the office is, is sharing that joke and forwarding that, and you're like, no, 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 I'm just gonna eat my ham sandwich and listen to the radio. What are you doing in the car all the time? You know, I just, I can't deal with all your guys' just your words, like I don't do that. Yeah, but you did a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but now I'm saved and I don't do that. And over the years, so many goofy and false teachings have come into the church in the name of truth and relevance and traditions and customs are suggested to churches that sound good and maybe feel good, but unfortunately aren't good because they're not in the scriptures. And they're just people testing things out. And who gets, who, who's the one that pays the price? The church, the sheep, as pastors are testing things out on people. Let's see if this works. And I wonder what will get the most uh, attention, what will grow our church, and all the wrong motives. Instead of just teaching people to love God, surrender your life to him, and, and you say, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, we're going to study the Bible together, and we're just going to follow Jesus. We're going to learn from him. And you're like, that's it. That's it. You're not going to do anything? No. You're not going to drive a car on the stage? I wouldn't even know how to get it in here. You're not going to ride your Harley up? I don't do Harleys. It's like maybe a tricycle. Tick, 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 tick. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't have, it's not going to be, you're not, you're not going to have the, you're not going to have the largest Easter egg hunt in Colorado. We're not going to have the largest Easter egg hunt because then, then we can put that on our flyer and then the next church will do one extra egg and then we have to erase it. You know, oh, we're the second largest. What do eggs have to do with Easter anyway? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't have any problem with whatever you choose to do, but the church of Jesus Christ on Easter is going to proclaim the gospel. That's what we're going to do. We're going to introduce you to Jesus. We're going to tell you about Jesus. And then, and then we're going to tell you how you can repent of your sins. We're not going to, you know, if we attract you that way, then what are we going to need to do on the next holiday? And then what are we going to do, need to do on the next holiday? And then the, the year that the Lord busts us and we say, you know what? No more gimmicks. I'm sorry. I repent. No more gimmicks. We're just going to teach you the Bible. 90% of the church leaves. Why? Because they were there for the gimmicks. And maybe you're here and you're wondering when we're going to start the gimmicks. Well, the way that God does that is he puts people like me in the pulpit. I'm the gimmick. Because <laughs> I don't belong in the pulpit. I shouldn't be alive today. 
I'm a foolish thing. I would be someone you look at and just shake your head and go, what is he doing in the pulpit? I ask the same thing at times myself. But God is always faithful to remind me that he uses the foolish things that confound the wise, that he uses rocks if he wants to, he, he can use angels if he wants to, and, and he can use donkeys if he wants to, and he can, use his, he can use men like Ed Taylor if he wants to, who confound the world, who has to answer uh, what seminary, when I get the email, which I do pretty much weekly, what seminary did you go to? I didn't. And they let you be a pastor? I know. <laughs> I know. It's shocking to me. You see, we, we need, to, we need to, to bring the level of our need for entertainment and need to be stimulated and need to be entertained and need to, we need to bring that level down and be satisfied with the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives and his sufficiency. When he says, my grace is sufficient for you, but we're always stimulated and we're always, the world props us up and, and, and the world's always constantly keeping us going, keeping us going and, and it's hard to sit and be silent and wait on the Lord. It's hard to sit through a Bible study and time is flicking and, and you know, man, I, I'm, my attention's all over the place and I'm thinking about it and I gotta come back and I'm thinking, but the Lord is training you. I think of all the things over the years. Uh, you know, there was a laughing movement that came into the church. There was a barking movement. You know, people were literally barking in churches in the name of God. I'm not making this stuff up. There was screaming. There was a time in the church where they were roaring like lions. They were, um, they're, they're, now today the popular thing is downing shots of whiskey in Jesus' name, smoking cigars to top up, talk about the deeper things of theology and a whole host of weird, and there's always the snake handlers. They've been with us forever. The snake handlers, they're just, just, if I have any influence in your life is to teach you to depend upon the Lord, to, to depend upon his sufficiency. And it's vital I won't develop this because I've developed it in other places in Bible studies, but if you're taking notes, it's vital that what we practice in the church is, and how we express our faith to be clearly seen and taught in the scriptures. And there's three ways, three things to look for. Number one, did Jesus do it? Number two, did it continue on in the life of the church in the book of Acts? And thirdly, did it, was it covered, taught, or corrected in the epistles? For, for example, let me give you a, real, real, a one that we all do as a church, and we don't do it because it's tradition. We do it because it passes the three tests. Communion. Did Jesus uh, partake of communion? He instituted it. Did the early church partake in communion? Yes, they continued steadfastly in it. And was it spoken on, repeated, or even corrected in the epistles, the letters of Paul or letters? Yes, is one of the ones that we think of um, right away is in Corinthians where he had to correct it. And so therefore, we practice it in the church. How about barking in the spirit? Did Jesus do that? John chapter 25, Jesus barking on the mountain. You know, no, no, he didn't bark in the spirit. Is it anywhere in the New Testament? Anywhere in the book of Acts? It's nowhere in the book of Acts. And is it anywhere corrected or mentioned in the epistles? It's, it's a modern day thing to keep people excited and entertained. The problem is, is that when it wears off, what are you left with but a desire for more emotion instead of a desire for more of the Lord? How careful we need to be. So back in 1 Kings 13, you got this guy. He's lying 
even as it's still happening today, that things are happening in the church and coming into life, and, and the reason why is because, well, an angel told me. Well, I don't care if an angel told you. It's not in the Word of God. I don't trust that angel. Now, 1 Kings 13, pick up where we left off. Verse 20. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back and he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, because you've disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And it was after that he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled a donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. Wow, that fast. His corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it, and the lion also stood by the corpse. You, you have to allow the Bible to actually, like, this is, this is crazy. This is, this, we read it like, yeah, lion ate him, and then the donkey's standing there, and the lion, I mean, come on now. This is a dramatic way that God is showing us that sin doesn't pay. It's a dramatic way. And I pray that you just let it sit in. These are the things your kids should be laughing at when you're reading the Bible to them because they listen and they're paying attention. You go, seriously, a donkey just stood there right by the dead? Man, that's crazy, Dad. I know. And the lion, he's not eating the donkey? Like, why? Like, think about it. Like, and the donkey's fighting and they're like, you know, no. They're just sitting there and there, men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road. And they saw the lions. Men passed by and saw the lion standing there. Side note, we were in South Africa for one of our mission trips. I taught at a conference out there. They took us on a safari, put us in a caged car truck, like seriously caged all the way around, and they took us through and drove us by the lions. And they said, if you drop anything out of the truck, do not get it. Consider it lost. We might be able to come back and get it later, but do not get it. Even if the lion is on the other side of the fence, all the way on the other side, don't get it. Because by the time you stake your foot out of the truck and your first foot hits the ground, the line will already be up and 10 paces towards you. They're that fast. Just, I don't care if it's an iPhone. I mean, he was really, he was just like, don't do it. And, and so we drove by and the lines are all lazy under the tree and they kind of, you know, like this guy just standing there, you know, just sitting there. And, and we just kind of wondered if it was going to be that way. And all of a sudden, the lions jumped up and started running because a food truck came in, like with all this meat. And it, man, they're, they're fast. So the Bible is just, don't, don't miss these little nuances of the scriptures. If you think that this is normal, that the lion sits there and men pass by the lion standing there. This is not normal. This is supernatural, what God is doing here. And it's dramatic. Why? Because there are those times in our lives where the wages of our sin is dramatic. And it may not be dramatic for us because in our lives, we have died because of sin. It has crushed our lives and destroyed our dreams. But there are people walking by our lives. And it's dramatic for them. It catches their attention. And it says in verse 26, when the prophet who had brought him back of the way heard it, he said, uh, it is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. 
Therefore the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which was torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. Yeah, because you're a liar. And he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And then he went, verse 28, and found his corpse thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. And the lion had not eaten the corpse, nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the corpse on his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother, because the wages of sin is death, and the response for people that love you is sadness. So it was, verse 31, after he had buried him, that he spoke to his son, saying, When I'm dead, bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. And after this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places, whoever he wished, He consecrated him, became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. And that's how the chapter ends. It's a dramatic, interesting chapter. There'll be a lot of these types of chapters as we go through of how God is dealing with his people. And Jeroboam does not turn from his evil ways. And the nation will suffer as a consequence. What he set in motion never ended. What he set in motion never ended. Even after God's word is shown to be true to him, he continues in the false worship away from God. He's a bad king, one of the many bad kings in Israel's history. Hey, thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor has been covering 1 Kings 13 in a message called Follow God's Word Carefully and Completely. To hear the message in its entirety, drop by calvaryaurora.org. You can also hear us through our app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. Pastor Ed is with me in studio now. And Ed, I don't think everyone listening has heard your testimony. Would you be able to give a condensed version for us? Larry, that's a great question. Condensed versions of our testimony are important, but they're very difficult to give. But basically, I was adopted by a family Uh, who loved me and took good care of me. And we actually went to church in the earlier parts of our life, uh, my life, until I was about in the sixth grade, and then we just stopped going all together. Uh, It was a very moral family, but I wouldn't say that we lived by uh, biblical values or, you know, had devotions or even went to church from sixth grade on. And so I got involved in drugs and alcohol at a very early age, uh, between sixth and seventh grade, and that with every progressive year, um, it got worse. And drunkenness and... Uh, problems with the law and difficulty were, were my life. Um, by the time I was 22, I would be the kind of guy that you would look at and say, what a waste of a life. And I really believe I had wasted my life. And even by then, I'd become a teenage parent to a teenage girl. Uh, and, and we ended up even getting married a little bit later. But uh, we were doomed to destruction. And then a buddy of mine that I had separated from that I grew up with I ended up getting saved at a Calvary Chapel in uh, Downey, California, and he invited me uh, to church. And that invitation to church led me to Calvary Chapel Downey, which led me to hearing the gospel uh, many weeks in a row, which led me to uh, receiving the gospel after my heart was convicted and my mind was convinced, and I was born again uh, in Southern California in 1991, 
and I've been walking with the Lord ever since. That's the elevator version. I was a rank sinner. Jesus Christ interrupted my life and saved me, uh, and I'm forever grateful for his salvation uh, and grateful for his love and his goodness, and I've been serving God now for uh, 27 years. I've been a pastor for 23 or 24 of those years, and I'm very grateful uh, for all that he's done and continues to do. He literally saved my life, saved my marriage, saved my family. Uh, I often tell my kids, my, my second and third children, uh, that they would not exist, literally, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, because we wouldn't, my, him, me and their mom wouldn't be together. I probably wouldn't be alive. And I am grateful for the grace of God. Larry, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking it. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we will send you Jesus Revolution by Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn. You'll be encouraged as you hear how God transformed an unlikely generation and how He can most certainly do it again. Call us right now at 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org. If you're writing, here's our address, Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Then join us next time when we'll pick up what we left off in First Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.